Jim Collison, we're live at uh, Infotech 2016. I'm here with Joel. Joel, thank or jo Joe. <laughs> I've been one you call you Joel Olstein. I hope that's not a bad. Yeah, that's okay. You can just Joe. Just, you can Olsen. just move the vowels and the consonants <laughs> around and make whatever. Well, he's making a lot of money. That's off true. Books, that's true. And uh, you probably wouldn't mind that money. <laughs> but Joe, catch us up. Who you are? Where you're from? What you do? Those kinds of things for folks who are just catching the video. Yeah. So, um, so I founded and run a company called Phenom Blue based in Omaha. It's a uh, connected communications firm. It's kind of a half business strategy consultancy and half um, communications agency. I've um, been doing that since 2004, I guess. Prior to that, I was uh, a consultant, uh, software engineering consultant at, at different companies, mostly around the Midwest. Cool. And Phenom Blue, like uh, you, you guys have been in the Omaha space a lot. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing? What kind of trends are you seeing going on in Omaha? What, what's going on with the customer base here? What are you excited about that's happening here in Omaha? You know, I think uh, Omaha's um, there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, what would I say? There's a lot of uh, traditionally established business in Omaha. Um, so you know, when you come to Omaha, you look at sort of a startup scene that's thriving to the extent that there's a lot of uh, support system around it. You know, there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of people that are interested in that space. Um, I think we're still struggling with funneling enough really great opportunities into that space, um, but, we're, but we're working with that. That's exciting to see. The stuff that's happening in Lincoln um, is exciting to see too. I think that, um, you know, the, the more established business, which makes up the, the majority of uh, the businesses in Omaha, are starting to be um, turnover leadership roles to uh, to younger folks that are that are from a different um, from a different space, and I think that that's challenging a lot of the ways that they've been doing business and and, and providing opportunities for innovative ways of approaching things, um, rethinking strategies and, and how they're approaching the marketplace. And I think that for us, that's exciting because that's something we've always sort of been on the leading edge of is trying to get companies to think that way. And it's always been a little bit challenging in Omaha because it's just one of those places where, you know, things trend wise tend to uh, come to us last. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, again, a lot of the business is pretty traditional. So they take their time implementing new things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as that um, old guard kind of shifts out, uh, the uh, uh, the risk factor, the ability to, to to handle some risk increases, which creates more opportunity for us. And I think just the city to do newer things, attract younger and more um, ambitious sort of talent um, and all those sort of nice things that come along with it. So Yeah. Two-part question. Yeah. Lincoln's certainly done a lot of things to make startup work down yeah. there. One, is that working? And then two, can Omaha do the same thing or is that happening here in Omaha? I should think this is startup. Week, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're both, I think they're both happening. I think you know, again, what's interesting about the, the startup landscape in, in, in Nebraska, really, is that you've got all this really great support system, meaning you've got a lot of really experienced businesses around you. So they have all these opportunities for you to reinvent things that they do or to create better ways of doing things. So you've got a lot of industry friends or partnerships that you can create. Um, I don't think we do a good enough job exploiting those opportunities. Um, I think we spend a lot of time trying to make things from scratch. Um, and, and we're in an environment where we don't have to do that. The, the other side is there's a great support system from a, a capital standpoint. Um, it's a young system, so we've got a lot of people that are in the um, in the in the uh, VC private equity um, you know angel sort of space because they have money to do so. Um, but the experience side around lending that money and and and, and facilitating it and putting the um, the establishment piece around it that part is growing up. Um, but that's great. We have more than a lot of. Uh, places that are way bigger than us population wise. I think the real challenge for us now is that um, we need the talent um, 
that's necessary to produce the types of businesses that can garner those kinds of uh, raises and then go out and create successes from them. So I think one of the things that every startup uh, place in our sort of position feels is that you get a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of volume and, 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 and traffic around what's happening and people are talking and people are getting excited, but you need um, consistent successes to happen out of that environment. We've had a couple, but we haven't had uh, enough to sort of say, hey, we've got a sustainable, really effective startup community yet. I think we've got a lot of pieces and parts, but I think we need more good ideas, more solid businesses to come through and sort of prove that model first. Sure. And on the backside, when we think about a, when we think about a huddle, mm -hmm. uh, growing yep, and becoming example. giant, right? We think Absolutely. about hay needle. Yep. Uh, do we have the right e-commerce are we seen in the right e-commerce to for those folks to stay here? Yeah. From that standpoint, is Omaha in the position to be able to do that, or where do we need to change to grow? I, I think so. I mean, I think you know, again, if I was if I was starting a business and, and speaking from a startup perspective, um, you know, I'm going to look at the ecosystem around me first and foremost to make sure that I can be successful. And for every business, that means something a little bit different. But I mean, if you're worried about having engineers, or you're worried about having capital, or you're worried about having access to um, other business leaders have been successful, or you're worried about the community supporting you, whether that's um, with uh, talent or whether it's with um, cheap resources, be it you know uh, leasing or equipment or uh, standard of living or whatever it is. Omaha's got all those things um, in spades. So I think that you, it, it's a great environment for success. In fact, I think if you if you if you were going to be you know, so to speak, like mildly successful in a bigger market where there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more things for people to get interested in. If you if you come to Omaha and and start up here, like you're going to be a really big fish in a small pond, um, which I think is um, something that um, we just haven't had a lot of opportunity to expose either. Um, but I mean, if I knowing what I know about this place, if I was from out in the valley, even if I didn't need to be there, like there was some thing that was um, just a, a deal breaker for me being out there then Omaha would definitely be on my list because everything else is easy. Yeah. You know, and you've got enough things to think about when you're, when you're trying to start a business yeah. that all those other things help. Yeah. So. And super expensive housing. And yeah. Always, and I mean, you know, think yeah. about Haney to learn. I mean, you want customer service to be able to service people. You want engineers to be able to build things for you. And you want experienced like MBA kind of leadership that can navigate, you know, creating an organization that's sustainable and all those sort of things. I mean, those people are everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it, 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 around the Midwest, and, and we've got the established businesses and the education systems to create those folks. So I think right. there are talents there to support it. Right? Yeah, so. I, we even I saw Drobo move their uh, customer service out here to Omaha mm -hmm. for a while, and they were stationed or they were located in the Bay Area, but they had their customer service coming out of Omaha. My son actually got a chance to work for them, which was oh, really okay. cool, Drobo. That's cool. Um, so yeah, those kinds of things. I think when you come here, cost of living and some of those resources, just easier, yeah. easier to get a yeah. better pool. What are you speaking on? What was your session? Did you have it? Or, no, it's coming up. Coming what up, are you yep. speaking on? So I was asked to talk about e-commerce um, and I think uh, e-retail really. And I think, um, you know, my approach is going to be more about how to, how to put together or some things to consider, I guess, tips and tricks for lack of a better description to consider when you're getting into that space. Cause I think, you know, if you take if you take companies that are literally e-commerce businesses that are starting from the ground up and set them aside, there's a ton of businesses that are now utilizing um, e-retail 
platforms to uh, go out and sell product, uh, create a new business unit, um, take service and appointment things, like everything that has to do with that space, they're augmenting their business with it. And I think that um, helping them understand that you need a solid retail model business strategy behind it um, and that some of the other things uh, you know, from a platform perspective are already there for you, but without those sound foundational things, it's really difficult to run that business um, because it is a business. It's not just like something you're tinkering with, right? Yeah, So yeah, for sure. Yep. In that space, uh, if you could change anything in Omaha right now, if there was something that's that's not working that you wish would work, what would that be? Which space? Uh, in like, especially in the e-commerce space, yeah. you know, when we think about that. Yeah. What, what can we do better here? Hmm. That's a good. That's a good question. Um, it's it's a silly one because there's nothing you or I could do to oftentimes make that happen. But right. May give us a direction from from. You know, I think I think the challenge that you have, um, you know, in Nebraska especially, and maybe even into your Kansas cities and your Denver's. Um, I'm not going to say Minneapolis because there's a lot of resources there, but is finding real top retail management uh, hmm. folks and and and, you know, like any other business, like you can you can. You can fill the business up with with people that can, you know, take a strategy or a clearly defined set of goals and, and how they're going to be measured against those goals and say you have the right skill set necessary to go achieve these things. But the person at the top that has to filter through the noise and um, has been has been there and done that and understands how it works and what you need to do to be successful. Um, those companies just don't exist around us, and so it's very difficult to find that talent. So we end up having to recruit some of that in, and unfortunately. You know, when you think about startups, most of those startups are people who are at one of those organizations currently or in sort of a role like that or, or live in that space um, environment wise and decide, hey, I'm going to go try something different with a couple of my friends or I'm going to wrangle a couple people together and do something. And that's where those businesses come from. So without that talent currently there um, and, and most of it being just imported in specifically, um, there's not a lot of opportunity for these random moments of innovation to happen to start these kinds of companies. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a challenge we yeah. have. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've been in Omaha for 25 years now and lots of talk around this. I feel like we're making some traction. Yeah. There's some great stuff going on here right now. It is good to see some of those companies get started. We work uh, with Gallup. We work out of Lincoln as well. Yep. Exciting to see some of those things go on in yeah. the market area. Absolutely. And we're, we're pretty excited about that as well. Uh, Ryan says in your bio, uh, you says you help clients in the post-digital age. What yeah. do you mean by post-digital? So uh, the, the communication space largely for a long time was about traditional versus digital. And it was, it was a way, you hear it in, in a conversation a lot, it was really a way for digital agencies to talk about themselves separate from your traditional advertising agencies. It was also a really easy way um, to kind of like separate those two worlds um, when you ha were having conversations about where you're gonna put your media or what you're gonna do, uh, whether it was like a website or whether it was something traditional or offline. And I think that, um, you know, when, when, when digital sort of came into play and we started getting, you know, mobile devices and, and social media and all this other stuff, it, it changed the way that people behave. And so they, they act completely differently. And so it's more about a behavioral shift. And so when we say post-digital and what you'll see out in the, um, uh, in the world today is, is this word connected, which I think, you know, we were using that a long time ago. There's a few other agencies that are using that now too. Um, but Forrester is starting to talk about it. And I think the the evolution to that connected space is about understanding that people themselves are more are digital now in the way that they interact, the way their expectations have changed and the way their behavior works. And so what companies are really struggling with is how to relate 
um, with whether it's developing new customer relationships or whether it's um, approaching a go-to-market strategy for selling something or whatever it is to this to this group of people not just young not old you know uh, demographic aside that are digital by nature now whether they were born that way or whether they um, you know uh, just sort of became that way through interactions over the last five or six years or whatever it is. But that whole group of people is interacting with brands differently. And that's the challenge that most of our customers face today is not necessarily um, how to make something. It's more what should we be doing and why should we be doing it? Right? Yeah. So there's there's a reaction by the group below the millennials. And I don't think we've figured out what we're going to call them yet. But I'm hearing about some resistance or they're acting even different as they consume this, maybe not as hyper to the internet or not as hyper to checking things as often as we do. Yeah. Are you seeing that? Are you yeah, I mean, if you went to South by, for instance, I mean, a lot of the conversation about um, a lot of the what I would call, I guess, technology conversation was about a screenless environment. So there was a lot of talk about Amazon's Echo and, and, and things like that, but more out of the more out of the space of like getting rid of actually touching and interacting with things and, 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 and getting into kind of spatial computing environments. And so when you think about getting off the screen, um, that, that's a that's a direct sort of um, discorrelation with what's happening today. There's also a lot of throwback hands-on stuff. I mean, American Greetings whole booth was about creating digital things today, but doing them in, in a manual way. So they had a guy sitting at a sewing machine stitching selfies into a, a piece of paper. They had the typewriters that you could use to type letters. They had um, uh, they had a um, animated gift station. They called it where they would take photos of you in, in a succession, and then they'd print them out, and then you'd put them into one of those old flip uh, things, yeah. and then you'd video it with your phone. Right. So they had all these really interesting things, and it was packed. But there, so there's a huge renaissance, I think, um, really amongst um, you know the next generation of designers coming through that feel that. Um, they sort of lost the tangibility of design, and so they are, they are sort of um, going back a little bit. You know, yeah. um, I was just talking to somebody and saying that I find myself, you know, and maybe it's just exposure to the marketplace or whatever, but it's like every month I post less and less things on social media because it just starts. It's starting to get to the point where like everything's there, yeah. and once you start regressing a little bit, it, it, it just. I think it's that. <clears throat> I think it's that need to want to be in a different space. Yeah, and I think that. You know, it, it, it's it's kind of like Facebook became really popular with parents, and so then the, the bottom end demographic started to peel off of it and find something different. Right. So I think that you know every age that comes through is is going to is going to want a different experience, and I think there's a huge trend now to pull back on things, um, or to or to have it more integrated um, and less sort of uh, physical, I guess, um, because everything is so that way. Yeah. I mean, every designer talk I, I heard at uh, at South by, and I didn't listen to a lot of them, but probably 10 or so, every one of them basically had the same theme, which is like, what are we going to do when we get off the screens? Yeah. Right. How do you start designing when you're not looking at a screen and, right. and just all that kind of stuff? So. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot of negative. Uh, we see this in the media, a lot of negativity towards that looking, everyone looking at their screen. I've mm -hmm. seen jokes where, you know, the guy's at the beach and he pulls his hands away and he's sunburned, except for his hands were on a cell phone. Right, right. right. And, you know, the jokes being made about nobody ever looking up and looking at each other right. anymore. I think that it, there's a little negative sentiment to us being on our phones so much. Yeah. Well, that, is that enough to get us? I mean, with some of the no touch devices that are coming, I love the Echo and what's yeah, yeah, going yeah. And it's actually been the first device that my family has taken yeah. in. And, it, and like, it wasn't, I didn't ask him to. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I heard a guy talking about uh, the Echo. We did a bunch of uh, interviews when we were down there with different um, um, heads of uh, different different agencies and stuff. And one of the guys that I talked to, 
um, was talking about the Echo, and he said he gave it to his family, and it was it's like a series of little things that became it, it became the bigger part of their life, you know, him and his kids and his wife, and and he said like if I took it away today everyone would, would get mad at me. But it, it wasn't like when I brought it in, it was this huge change. It was this small series of little things that happened over a yeah. period of time where you yeah. know you started asking for the weather, you started talking to it to change songs, or you started doing things that were just, you know, seemed nominal, I guess, at the time. Right. But then in the grand scheme of things, completely different. Yeah. I think another example is that, you know, driverless cars was another big thing uh, because Google had a pretty big presence and they were talking about it. But it was funny to listen to when you'd hear the crowd like there was an older generation of people, myself included, that talked about technology and and um, and uh, and sort of like technical factors around why this would or wouldn't happen or when it was going to happen. But we, we all talked about it more like George, uh, like the Jetsons, sort of like this would be really cool. And then there was a whole nother swap of younger folks who th th their opinion was almost like, I don't understand why this hasn't happened already. Like it's insane that as human beings, we're driving cars. Like. Yeah we're not equipped to make the kind of decisions necessary to be safe, you know, driving, right. you know, uh, uh, whatever, a two ton piece of equipment down the road or whatever it is. Right, right. Like it's sort of insane when you think about the amount of calculations that are necessary to be safe on the road. And then you add all these drivers on and you go, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be driving. Right. Like, what are we doing? As right. opposed to the way other people are thinking about it, which is, is this really safer? Yeah. You know, and it's like, right. it's just two completely different views. Yeah. Well, so, it's interesting. Those generations that came up with this technology are yeah. more likely to trust it than yeah. those that didn't yeah. and have seen it come on. I mean, it, it, just a couple of years ago along that, nobody would have thought like, hey, this isn't ever going to be legal anywhere. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And now, like, the state of California is like, okay, we're good with it. Yeah, yeah. And so now it's starting to break in, right? We're starting yeah. to see. Anything, last question for you, anything on the horizon? We've talked about self-driving cars and so yeah. Anything else that you're looking at when we think of trends, mm -hmm. uh, technology-wise, coming that we haven't talked about here that you're excited for? You know, I think, again, I think from a technology-specific standpoint, I think that um, – um, all these niche experiences that people are creating um, using cell phones, because that's everybody's number one computer these days, are really exciting. It's like it keeps defragmenting and defragmenting. Um, and I think that um, um, our fragmenting, fragmenting, I think that that's really cool because it's providing all these hyper niche use cases for people. Um, and, and so like I find every day, you know, I'm one of those people who like I go to the app store every day and I like find if there's anything new and I download it just to see what the interface is like. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting to watch even the last probably 12 to 18 months how before there was probably three or four primary interfaces that you saw. And now you're seeing custom ones developed for the specific use cases for the people using these apps. And I think that um, that's a new trend. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think they're intertwined a little bit. But then I think, again, the other big one is just this this whole screenless um, environment that's happening, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and how it's putting more, um, it, it's putting more value around, uh, so, sort of this communal computing experience, which we saw when touchscreens first came out and everybody was going to have these touchscreens that like nine people used at once that sort yeah. of like never happened. No, nope. um, but yeah, but now we're, now it's back into, I think you're going to open up some more spaces for yeah. multiple people to be using a, a similar you know, program at yeah. the same time. And Compute everywhere is one yeah. of these kinds of things, one of these ideas that I think, you know, it was too early when we went with the Pixel Sense and some of those yeah. early ones. It's just too early. Yeah. And they're not really there. And we think about sitting around a table and that's not really the right ecosystem to be doing that kind of computing. Yeah, well, the, even the design paradigms are strange. You know, I remember when we were doing a bunch of Surface work, when it was called Surface yes. back in the day with Microsoft, and we were in, in Redmond going through their design um, sessions. Like, 
some of the examples that they would bring up where they would take a surface table to uh, Mall of America and they'd put it in the middle of the floor and like lines would queue up for 45 minutes while one person worked the computer, even though, you know, the, the even the application was made so multiple people would use it. There was just this like interaction model amongst, you know, right. Americans where it's like, hey, yeah. that guy's got personal space. I don't want to invade his personal space. But then they would take it to, you know, like a mall in Mumbai and, and it would just be a massive, you know, uh, like uh, they would just maul the machine. There would be hands all over it, people doing things. And, and so I think that um, there was a lot of issues. It was the right track, but there was a lot of design issues with the interaction models created by a screen right, like that. Right. Um, you know, and so now you're in a space where with the screenless environment, you can change some of those interaction models and maybe that social computing stuff will work a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so right. it, it's cool to watch some of those things come back around. It's like, you know, they keep trying to solve the same issues with different with different uh, solutions. Well, so and sometimes cool. hardware needs to catch up. Absolutely. You know, from that standpoint, you know, tablets started in, in 2002, but they didn't really catch on until 20, you know, 2008, yeah. you know, 2010, just because the hardware wasn't there yet in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways, or the design wasn't there. It depends yeah. if you're an Apple guy or a Microsoft, right, 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 right. Microsoft guy for that. So, Joe, thanks for taking a few Absolutely. to be with that. I appreciate okay. it. Good, good yeah. to see you here. It good does feel too. like, it's weird, it does feel like Heartland Developer Conference. But <laughs> if you're watching live, hang tight. We're going to change videos and we'll be right back.